You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Hi, welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor, but I still swear sometimes. And I'm Josh, and I'm finally putting that broadcasting and religion degree to good use. On this episode, we're tackling which Bible are you reading? It turns out we're not all reading the same one. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. Well, welcome back, Jenny. Good to talk again. Welcome back, Josh. Um, so I'm going to start it out. What are, what are you drinking this week? I am currently drinking a double IPA. It is strunk, as they say. That's what the kids say nowadays, strunk. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. How about you? I'm having a 312 again. Just a good wheat beer out of Chicago. Solid. All right. Well, we are going to get into our topic this week. As I mentioned at the top, we're talking about which Bible it is that we're reading. And I don't know, Josh, is this something that you were familiar with that like even among Christians, different Christians have different Bibles? I did know some of it. Previously, when I first got out of college and worked in a radio station, I worked for a Catholic radio station. And being Lutheran growing up, them talking about some of these other chapters, and I'm like, wait, I don't remember that. And so I did know that they had some different, I don't know if extra is a good word, but they had extra chapters. And that in just translations itself, that it's a lot of different things. Yeah. And for sure, that translation piece is like a big part of it that I don't even know how many different English translations there are. And that could be a whole different topic, uh, whether you're looking at the NRSV or the NIV or the message or I mean, there's so many different translations, but we're not even going to get into that today. We're going to talk about the books themselves and what is between those two covers where it says the Holy Bible. It's not the same for everybody. So as you mentioned, the Roman Catholics have more books than Protestants do in their Bibles. Which is crazy to me, but I remember growing up, I went to a, a Lutheran school, preschool through eighth grade, and I had to learn the books of the Bible in order and recite them as a memory verse. And I'm sure you're familiar with memory verses with like your confirmation classes and such, maybe? Or am I mm -hmm. imagining that? Okay. I think I mostly managed to avoid that. But yes, I'm definitely familiar with the concept. Because there's nothing like more stressful to a kid that's really shy and not sure of themselves and having them try to recite these specific words from memory in front of everyone. Right? Like in front of everyone. That's the worst part. Right. Like obviously I got over the speaking fear, but like as a youth, I was super quiet when I wasn't talking to my best friends. I was still, yeah. So that yeah. really stressed me out. But I can still pretty much remember most of the books of the Bible in order, which is kind of fun. But at the same time, I could have learned better stuff. <laughs> it's like, what what is that taking up space in your brain and what else could be there? Yeah, I, you know, I have to ask myself every day when I'm trying to remember what day it is, because I just know that, OK, I have to work today as opposed to like the specific date. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. See, I learned the books of the New Testament because I also like grew up going to church. I didn't go to a like church school, but I learned the books of the New Testament because they taught us a song, which obviously like makes it easier to remember things. 
So I still remember the song for the books in the New Testament. And that's just a great way to teach. I think more things should be taught through song because I can still remember how to say my ABCs in Spanish from <laughs> Senora Donald in my freshman year in high school. And I still can re recite it. I'm not going to. Song is a great <laughs> way to learn. And I think we should, uh, we should do more with that. Right. It definitely helps with memory. Anyway, this is not a conversation about how to remember the books of the Bible. But we are going to talk about the differences between different traditions and the books that are in those Bibles. And I guess I want to just kind of start out at the top and say, like, why I think this matters, because it is a little, like, esoteric or whatever. Like, it's kind of, I don't know, not everyday knowledge that most people rely on. But if you're somebody who, like, takes the Bible seriously, I do think it matters what books are included and, like who makes those decisions or who made those decisions in the past. And we'll also talk a little bit about the order of the books, because that also varies. What difference that makes, you might say, who cares? The order is just not significant. I think it actually does matter because it kind of shapes how we understand information is like in what order it's presented or how it's presented. So that's kind of like my pitch for like why you should keep listening to this episode and not turn it off. And hopefully we'll live up to that. I really hope so. Don't turn this <laughs> <Right>? off. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we have control of your computer device, be it phone or computer, laptop, tablet. You are forced to listen to us till this episode is over. Doo-doom. Very spooky. So let's start just by kind of doing a rundown. And I, I think it does help to start with the Protestant and the Roman Catholic differences, just because I think that's where most people might run into this, at least in the United States. Like these are dominant Christian groups. So a lot of people will have experience with one or the other version of the Bible. So the Roman Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible have the same books in the New Testament. So the New Testament are the stories of Jesus and the letters of the early church. There are 27 books in the New Testament for both Catholics and Protestants, so they agree on that part. Where they differ is in the Old Testament. So Roman Catholics have 46 books in their Old Testament, and Protestants only have 39. So the Catholics have seven additional books. And if you, like Josh and I both grew up Lutheran, and so if you have kind of a familiarity with the books that you heard in Sunday school or in church or whatever, and then you come across these other titles that are in the Catholic Bible, you're like, wait, what? So the additional seven books for the Catholics are Sirach, Wisdom, or sometimes it's called Wisdom of Solomon, Tobit, Judith, First and Second Maccabees, and Baruch. And they also have additional verses in the books of Daniel and Esther. So like those books are longer in Catholic Bibles than Protestant Bibles. So more memory verses to have to learn. That's right. If, if you're Catholic and you have to memorize the books of the Bible, you have more books to memorize. Ah, take that. I had an easier time. I didn't. I don't um, know. So like why? Why is there this difference? Like where did the split happen? I did a little bit of sort of historical research, and some of it, part of the credit or blame, depending on how you look at it, goes back to Martin Luther, namesake of the Lutheran Church, 
I was going to say our guy, Martin Luther, but I'm not sure I want to claim him like quite that warmly. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's got some cool stuff that he did and some good questions that he asked. But at the same time, also some really terrible things. Really? Yeah. Maybe we'll put on the, the list of potential episodes talking about Luther's anti-Semitism because it's a problem. But anyway, for our purposes today. Martin Luther, one of his big things was that he translated the whole Bible into German, which was obviously his language and the language of the people, because he really believed that everybody should be able to read the Bible or hear the Bible and understand what was being spoken. At that time in Europe, it was only Latin. So if scripture was read in mass in European church, it was Latin. And None of the ordinary people spoke Latin, so they literally couldn't understand what was being said. Which I think is a more of a power thing, too, at some point. Like, yeah, obviously, they're afraid of translation, could be misinterpreted or taken wrong. But at the same time, it kind of keeps, you know, the peasants at the peasant level, keeps them uneducated, keeps them not knowing, just they're following what the church is telling them. And the church was a huge power. Yeah, and it's like your only resource for knowing what the Bible says or for knowing like anything about the church teachings is basically what your priest tells you, and there's no way to like verify that yourself, and that I think was kind of part of Luther's problem. And I I like I want to be even-handed and say I think it's also possible to go too much in the other direction because I think nowadays we have a very democratized view of like anybody can read anything and decide what it means and it's like okay but like some people actually might have more knowledge than others about a certain topic but anyway luther was concerned uh that people couldn't read the bible so he translated he went back to the original greek and hebrew obviously greek for the new testament hebrew for the old testament and he translated the whole bible into german except these extra books, these seven books, which are typically called deuterocanonical in the Catholic Church, which means like second canon. And those books at Luther's time didn't exist in Hebrew. There was no like Hebrew manuscript that had been preserved. I think some of them Hebrew manuscripts were found later, but like at Luther's time, they didn't exist. And so Luther left those books untranslated and left them at the back of his Old Testament. So he kind of like siloed them off and like made them sit in the back. And it wasn't that he was like, nobody should translate this, but he was like, my assistant will translate this. He was like, we'll let, you know, Melanchthon translate this. Like, I have more important things to do. And for those of you that didn't like get a huge history of Martin Luther, be it because you're a different denomination or you're right, not like every that's perfectly year fine. In confirmation class if you didn't have to talk about martin luther right absolutely but melanchthon was really pivotal in getting the bible translated and opening up a different style of thinking as a christian faith as opposed to just the catholic beliefs he was also really i think sometimes underappreciated when you were learning the history of the Reformation and things like that. I love this, like un unsung hero, Philip Melanchthon. So Luther put these deuterocanonical books kind of in a separate category. And part of his justification for doing that was he went back to St. Jerome. And Jerome had kind of said, well, these other, these deuterocanonical books 
aren't in Hebrew, and so they're kind of a different category, and and maybe there is sort of a, a sense of like they're not quite as good or maybe not quite as important. But Luther was the first one who like put those seven deuterocanonical books together and stuck them at the end of the Old Testament, and they came to be called the Apocrypha. And so you'll still see that today if you get like a study Bible, a Protestant study Bible, it might say the Bible with the Apocrypha or like including the Apocrypha, which is a word that means like hidden, that these are like the hidden books kind of. And Catholics like get annoyed by that. They're like, why did you give these books like a different title? The sort of Protestant position that they came to was that the books in the Apocrypha were useful for instruction, but they weren't part of the canon. And this is canon with one N. C-A-N-N-O-N is the kind of cannon that you fire on a battlefield or from a ship. C-A-N-O-N is what we're talking about. Which is a huge bane of our existence if you're a superhero fan, any kind of nerd fan. Like, well, actually, canon states that this person didn't necessarily have this superpower. Just taking it in a nerdy direction, I apologize. No, that's a good point. I hadn't been thinking about that. But we do absolutely, like, in the common vernacular, at least in nerd circles, you'll talk about, like, canon versus headcanon or fanon. I hadn't even made that connection. Thank you, Josh. Absolutely. If I can make it nerdy, I'm going to do it because that's my life. Yeah, so the canonical books were the books that are in. They're the in the Bible Yes, they are scripture. Yes, they are of like a special status. And other writings like the Apocrypha or, you know, things that were written by the early church or whatever, those could still be useful and important, but they like weren't elevated to quite the same level. So Protestants ultimately ended up kind of following Luther's lead and they put these deuterocanonical or apocryphal books in a separate section and they kind of said these are not quite as defining to the faith as the rest of the books of the Bible. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this as well. So they're not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessarily like sure that they were written at the time that the other books of the Old Testament were written. And there's some like interpretation on that the church might have contributed to some of these in the early days. Is that, am I way off base? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I don't know about like the church like adding to it because I think you could say like, all Christian writings are from the church in a certain sense. But yeah, it was like, there's definitely a distinction made between things that are rejected by Christian institutions, like things that are declared like this is a heresy. No one is allowed to be a Christian and to hold this like position. That's definitely not what we're talking about here. This was like, well, we're just taking them down a peg. Still interesting, still useful for instruction, but not on the same level as the rest of scripture. Not as necessary to our daily life as learning from some of the other prophets. Is that? Yeah. And and I think it kind of really gets to the question of like, what does scripture mean? Which like, I don't want to completely go off the deep end of that, but people will often talk about like scripture being inspired, right? That there is this sort of unique or exceptional kind of divine influence on these writings. And to put the deuterocanonical or apocryphal books in a different category is like, yeah, they're still good, but they're not 
maybe inspired in the same way. Okay. But going off that, I'm going to kind of switch subjects here, but going off that, so the Roman Catholic Old Testament, now that would match up with the Torah, correct? Not quite. So this is a this is another area where it I personally find this really really interesting. So we often think, you know, Christians have the Old Testament and the New Testament and and I think if you asked like the average Christian, they might say, well the Old Testament is what the Jewish people have, right? That the Old Testament is like the Jewish half of the Bible, which is not entirely accurate. Again, we could go like way like deep nerd dive into this, but I'll try to be like succinct. The Hebrew Bible or like the Bible, if you're Jewish, they just call it the Bible. But the Hebrew Bible contains the same books that are in the Protestant Old Testament, does not include those deuterocanonical books, the extra ones that Catholics have. But the other difference that I think is important is that the Jewish Bible is arranged in a different order from the Protestant Old Testament. And again, you might say, like, this is such an obscure, like, trivial detail. Who cares? And the answer to that question is that Jenny cares. The way the books are ordered and kind of the categories that they're in are different for the Jewish Bible versus Christian Bibles. And I think that that then shapes the interpretation. So I'll just give one really quick example. If you have a Christian Bible and you're looking at the Old Testament, they'll sometimes have the books broken down into categories. And one of the categories will be historical books. And the historical books are usually like Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, that those are the quote-unquote historical books. And calling them that puts you in a certain mindset of what these books are about, right? You think they're, they're history. In the Jewish Bible, those books I just mentioned are all considered part of the prophets. So they are prophetic books along with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets. So if you're reading the same books, but they're under the heading of historical or they're under the heading of prophetic, that's going to kind of color your expectations and your reading. So that's why I think these distinctions matter. I just want to say, first of all, anytime you or anybody says Joshua, like my spine tingles, like I'm getting in trouble back when I was a kid, like I still straighten up. Joshua. Yep. But second, <laughs> but second... The history books, historical books, are kind of thrown throughout. And to me, that always seemed like, okay, this is an update of where we're necessarily at, where, where we're at in the history before Christ. It was so-and-so, son of so-and-so, born of so-and-so. It was like, okay, here's, here's where we're at. Here's how we led up to this point. Here's the order to show you the historical progression of these stories. Mm -hmm. And like, that's definitely in there, right? I mean, those all of those genealogies and like successions, especially once you start getting into the kings where it's like this king and then this king and then this king, that's definitely all there, right? But again, I think calling them historical books is sort of a mistake, at least in a modern context, because if you pick up a history book today... There are certain expectations about, like, 
the accuracy of that book and its historical resource, right, should not be overly biased to one position or another. It should be well-researched. It should be grounded in records and facts. And, like, none of that (laughs) was assumed in the ancient world. And so the very idea of, like, a history book meant something very different 2,000 years ago or 2,500 years ago compared to today. So if you're reading a book like Samuel or Kings and you're expecting it to be a modern history book, it's just not. It's not the same. I guess that makes sense because because words. (laughs) Because words. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Because it doesn't have like the specific dates and all that like necessarily that you would expect from like a standard U.S. history book, for example, when it talks about Revolutionary War and then this and this and this. Yeah. And ultimately, I think it's important to keep in mind that everything in the Bible is theological, right? In the sense that all of it is telling us something about God and about the way that God relates to humanity and the way that human beings relate to other human beings. And so it's always with that kind of a lens that you have to read these books and you have to recognize, like, it's not a neutral perspective on history. It has specific angle and it never, you know, the Bible never tries to pretend it doesn't. It never is like, yes, let's do a nuanced view of history with no no agenda. It's like, no, these are stories about God. It's very clear. I think that's very important because, you know, especially the Old Testament, it is stories about God from the perspective of the children of Israel. It's that, hey, this is what they saw. This isn't necessarily what other nations encountered or interpreted as. Like, this is just from that one side. That's very interesting and a good point. Yeah, and I think that's a really important, like, nuance that you're putting on it. Again, it goes back to the question of, like, what does scripture mean? Or, like, what does it mean for something to be inspired? Because I think sometimes if you if you tell people, like, this is not a, a literal recording of history as we would understand it today, then people might say, like, well, then it's not valid, right? Like, you have to toss the whole thing out or something. And I think it's really important to just be clear about what these books are, that they are written by people of faith who are trying to be honest and faithful in their experience of the world and God, right? So it's not, there's nothing intentionally like misleading about it. These are faithful people talking about their faith. And I think that kind of goes back to like, you know, when these books are looked at, you know, the church can say like, no, if you think that, like that's obviously heresy that wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. That wasn't necessarily how it should have been. And that word inspired can be really loaded because some Christians will say like, well, the Bible's inspired and that means like you have to take all of it literally, which I think is kind of a nonsensical position if you really start to dig into it. Yeah. If you look at a lot of movies, you see like inspired by true events. Okay. Well, that's mm-hmm. not actually what happened, but it mm-hmm. it has a lot of things that, okay, yeah, I took this, but it's not necessarily 100% accurate. I, you know, put some flair on it. You mean there weren't sharks in those tornadoes? That I want to believe is not true. Um, 
being from the Midwest, I don't, don't want to go to the the coasts because of no. I'm just kidding. I I don't think Sharknado claimed to be inspired by true events, but I feel like those disaster movies sometimes are. Yeah. Uh, anyway, when I think about scripture as being inspired, I don't think that means that it doesn't have any contradictions or that it's all perfectly consistent or that it was like directly handed down by God. I think inspired means that it was faithful people who were trying to be faithful and I, as a Christian, like believe that the Holy Spirit works through people, but that's very different than saying like this came straight from God's golden fountain pen and like all of it is perfect. And I think that's a key point because we, we've talked about this, I think in the first episode we talked in creation, we talked about how, you know, at least my view was the Bible's like a guide because no matter how perfect we think this can be, in the end, it was still written by a human. It was still translated by another human. There's always room for error or misinterpretation. So I think we have to look at it as a whole. Well, I did want to just highlight briefly, because this is very much not my area of expertise. We've talked a lot about the Protestant and Catholic Bibles. Those are not the only Christian denominations, obviously. So just briefly, a few other things that, that I found in my research the Eastern Orthodox churches, so like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, they do include those extra deuterocanonical books. They count those as part of their canon. So they are in line with the, the Catholics, at least in that matter. And then also there are other Christian denominations that have even more books and even more expanded canon. Based on what I found, the largest biblical canon is 81 books compared to 73 for Catholics or 66 for Protestants. 81 books if you are part of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church or the Eritrean Orthodox Church, and they use a canon, and I apologize, I am going to, I know this pronunciation is going to be bad, but they use a canon called the Tewahedo Biblical Canon. So it's got 81 books. It includes extra books in the New Testament that other Christian denominations don't have, as well as some uh, unique Old Testament books. So that was that was news to me. I learned something. Yeah, that's that's uh, way over than I thought. So Jenny taught us more today. I like learning things. Uh, you know, that sh in theory, that should be the goal of life is to learn more and gather more information. But sometimes it's just easier to sit on the couch and not think about things. Yeah, that is true. Well, before we wrap it up, Josh, I know you also did a little bit of reading on some parallels between the Christian Bible and the Quran, which is obviously a very different sacred scripture, but has some overlap. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of key that the first little bit of the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, we all started in the same place as the Bible progressed, as the Quran progressed. And then as Torp, like we all went separate directions, but we all had that like similar start to things, which I think is really important for people to realize like, hey, this is not so necessarily radical from someone from a different faith. And even the Quran like mentions Jesus quite a bit. And they talk about Jesus being a prophet. They didn't necessarily see him as the son of God, as you know, the Christian Bible does, but neither do the Jewish beliefs. They believe Jesus performed miracles, they healing lepers, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, 
And even the Quran has a story about Jesus's first miracle um, when he spoke as an infant in the cradle and declared himself the prophet of God. Now, when I was researching this, it made me think of an anime I watched because, yes, I'm that big of a nerd, but... We love it. We love it. This family was going to name their child, and he was a reincarnation of a demon lord, which is a whole different subject, probably more for Halloween time. But they were like, okay, well, your name will be... And then the child spoke and said, Anos Voldigold, in this deep, mature voice, which I can't watch that clip and not laugh. It just makes me smile every time. (laughs) So yeah, I'm sorry that I'm comparing Jesus to that anime, but I think that's a really uh, key take that the Quran and Islam do acknowledge Jesus as a very important character in history, as a very, you know, respectable religious figure. They don't acknowledge him as the son of God, but they say he's a prophet, which I think is confusing and surprising for a lot of people. But I think it's, it shows the similarity, it shows the bonds that the faiths have and how you know, we need to look at this and kind of, you know, respect each other more and try to understand more. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, you know, sometimes you hear Judaism, Christianity, and Islam called like the Abrahamic religions because they all in different ways trace their stories back to Abraham. But I do think it's very cool, and it's not something I know a whole lot about, that the Quran does talk about a lot of the same characters that are familiar to Christians from the Bible. So obviously Abraham is a big one. But as you said, Josh, like also Mary, the mother of Jesus and Jesus as being important figures, which I think is very cool and and a helpful thing to remember. Yeah, maybe, you know, someday we'll kind of dig into more of that, like the splits that happen between the three big faiths of Christianity, Judaism and Islam. Yeah, that would be very cool. Also, I would love to talk about weird stories about Jesus as a child because of that <laughs> that incident in the Quran. There are some other extra biblical books that talk about Jesus as a child doing just some hilarious and wild things. So we'll save that for another time. I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, if you have a question or a subject that you would like us to talk about or like us to answer or just want to make us reconsider things in our life, you can send us an email. You can find our contact information in the episode description. And yeah. Share this podcast if you're enjoying it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to a Reverend Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.